Let's Talk Books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. It's episode number 12, and my guest is Marjorie Maddox, a poet, author, and editor. Marjorie has published 11 poetry collections and a book of literary fiction. She's a professor of English and creative writing at Lock Haven University. She's gracious and funny and inspiring, and not just with her students, but with her readers, and with me especially. I had a great time chatting with Marjorie, as I'm sure you'll hear. You can learn more about Marjorie and her books in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Hi, it's Robin Van Auken, the wholehearted author, and I am here today with Marjorie Maddox for session 12. Marjorie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I have a few questions to ask, but first I want my readers to know, um, and my listeners, to know who I am speaking with today. You are Marjorie Maddox, you're a poet, and you're also a writer of fiction. Yes. Fiction, uh, children's literature, and creative nonfiction. I do a little bit of everything, just to shake it up some. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are at Log Haven University, right? You're the professor of English and creative writing at the university? Yes, yes. I've been there since 1990. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, and especially maybe even um, expand a little bit on this little snippet that I learned, that you are the grand niece of Branch Ricky the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> yes, I, I am. I'm the great-grandniece of Branch Rickey. Um, and in fact, I was the uh, official Little League um, a World Series author two years in a row. So that's a connection to you. And um, had a lot of fun meeting, you know, uh, players from all over the country and even got to, to read uh, twice at uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, where I met uh, Rachel Robinson. But uh, yeah, so one of my newest books, actually, for children is a a biography for middle graders um, on Branch Rickey. Um, So that came out this last year. It's uh, an electronic book um, through the company Schoolwide um, and their um, subset uh, Zing. It's called Zing with an exclamation point. (laughs) Well, that is wonderful. You're really flexing those muscles, aren't you? Yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to kind of switch genres. I'm primarily a poet, but um, you know, there's some things that you can write better in in different genres. And and sometimes when you get stuck, it's kind of nice to switch over and and try something new and then uh, switch back again. So I I enjoy that. Well, I want people to understand why I'm asking you to sit down and speak with me today. Um, primarily, it's because I'm interested in how reading poetry can help writers and how understanding poetry allows a writer to relate to the world in a different way and maybe how writers can reawaken an early passion for poetry. For example, I suffered in my teen years with a lot of angst. And so that's when I thought, oh, I'm going to be a poet. And I wrote thousands Ah. of poems. And then, of course, you know, as time went on and I grew up and got out of puberty, um, things didn't really seem to be, you know, distressing me so much. And I moved into fiction. But 
wanting to understand more about poetry and how it can help me today as a writer. Um, that's my priority. I, and like I said, when I mentioned a minute ago about you flexing your muscles, um, I'm interested in flexing the, the poetry muscle. Ah, yeah. I mean, I think all of literature is, is really a confrontation with reality. It's a way to interact with our, uh, day-to-day lives, what you see. Um, it's also a way of kind of discovering what you think and believe. Um, you know, it's a, you kind of process your ideas as you, as you're writing. And for me, it's especially, um, true of poetry. Um, it's also a lot of fun. There's a lot of wordplay, um, you know, playing around with the sounds, um, playing around with the meanings, but it is a way to kind of see the world and, and digest, um, you know, the world. And so I, that makes a lot of sense to me what you're, what you're saying, because when you're, when you're joyful, but also when you're struggling with things, this is a way to kind of think through, um, you know, what you see, believe, think, how you interact with people, you know, what's going on in the world, um, it's also a way, I think, to empathize with other people, um, to kind of look at different points of view. Um, so I may be writing about something that happened to someone else, but because there's that um, universal connection of being human and, and understanding maybe something that they've gone through and linking it to maybe something that, that I've experienced, um, you know, it draws people together in that way as well. And I think that's one of the things that um, people find so kind of fascinating about poetry is it gives them a window not only into their own lives, but also into other people's lives. Um, Yes, I see that. I I actually was looking through your book, Local News from Someplace Else, and, and I was looking at it as poetry as translation. Um, because uh-huh. I come from a journalistic background, when I looked at this, this this was the title that caught my eye, and I I just had to pick it up because, you know, I I have I can relate to new stories, but when I see that you've taken so many interesting new stories and translated them, that you're you're making sense of either a tragedy or maybe something unusual with your poems. And and what I also observed was that it's almost like you're adding a new dimension to the five W's, which is like the, the standard toolkit mm-hmm. for the journalist mm-hmm. by adding wonder to the who, what, when, where, and why. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so you got the yeah. six W going for you. Tell, <laughs> tell me a little bit about local news from someplace else. Well, that book was actually a, a long time coming, and it started out really being a book about um, having and raising kids. And then it eventually turned into, after 9-11, it turned into this uh, book about raising kids in an unsafe world, you know, and how do you do that? And the sense of, you know, is there a safe place anymore? Um, you know, how do we redefine home? Because home doesn't always seem to be safe anymore with all the... Um, you know, tragedies that are going on, um, both on a, um, a social and a uh, political level, but also natural disasters, you know, personal levels from, um, you know, your own family, but us, other, you know, friends that you know. Um, and I see these kind of poems, they're still creeping into my work because, you know, we still are obviously dealing with all these things. But I became kind of fascinated with this idea of, um, 
thinking about these headline stories. And sometimes I use that as, you know, when I, when I get stuck, I'll go read the paper, you know, um, and it'll give me an idea, something to write about. But I was, you know, fascinated um, and drawn into um, these stories of, of people's lives and um, just that human element and how all news is, is local news in many ways, um, because it affects who we are. Um, it's, similar to things that maybe we have gone through or someone else we know have, has gone through, um, you know, even if it isn't exactly, you know, something that we've experienced, there's certainly something there that we can identify with or empathize with. So it was kind of a way of, of making those news stories more personal, I guess, if that makes sense. It does. It does. When I read the book, I noticed that, the information about your family, your children, your pregnancy, your birth, those are later in the book. So when you say it started mm-hmm. out as a book, you know, a collection of poems about your children and your family, was there a, a choice that you made when you decided to put most of those poems um, in section two and section three? How does a collection come together, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, they, they, I first started with poems about, about raising kids, and I was sending it out for a while, and it was a, a finalist in, like, I don't know, 30 national competitions. You know, I just was persistent. I kept sending out, and I kept revising it as I was going through, and then, you know, the world kept changing. Um, and actually, one of the things that, that I think one of the seminal poems um, – well, there was one that actually appeared in an earlier collection and then a, a one that was kind of a companion poem. But when I was pregnant with my first, uh, when we were pregnant with my first child, with our first child, um, was right when the TWA crash happened in, you know, with all the kids in Montoursville, this horrible tragedy. And so we really had to balance this joy of having our first child um, and expecting our first child with this horrible grief and sorrow that was, you know, surrounding us in the community. Um, and, you know, what do you do, you know, um, in a world like that? And when these kind of things keep happening, um, and then, and then we had, you know, all these other things happen, um, later on. And, uh, after the children were born, um, I mean, my, my kids were toddlers, you know, uh, my daughter was a toddler when the 9-11 happened. So, you know, I just started kind of trying to digest some of this stuff, um, I guess, is is what that was really about. And, and um, you know, all the kind of philosophical questions that come up because of um, just our day-to-day world. But then, you know, there's also a lot of room for joy. <laughs> so there's some, you know, very joyful poems in there. But how do you balance all those things, I guess, were, were some of the questions. I understand. Um, I'm not from the area. And, and I, I think that you mentioned that as well in one of your poems, the idea that you're, you're new here, you're only going to stay for a short while, I'm temporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was kind of passing through. <laughs> yes, that's what that's exactly what I thought. And uh, when we first moved here in 1996, it was um, February of 96, and we enrolled our children in Montoursville. And I went to work for the local newspaper because that 
that was a job that I could get right away when we came here. And as a result, mm -hmm. we knew five people on that plane. Um, and oh boy. my children went to school with, my son went to school with, yeah. you know, some of these uh, students. And in what I in experienced was a little, you know, a little bit opposite because I had come from um, Florida and I had done crime reporting. When I moved here to Pennsylvania, I told the news editor, I said, I do not want to write, um, you know, factual news stories about crimes and tragedies. I'm done with that. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. a good news reporter. And then um, the TWA 800 happened and it was all hands on deck. And so I, I had to, responded. So I put the skids on my writing. I, because I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to feel, you know, because, <laughs> you know, we're translating, yeah. this, we're translating this information and, and I didn't have your sixth dimension, <laughs> you know, your wonder <laughs> report just the facts, but, you know, remove yourself from that equation. Yeah. So the, but when I read your poem, you know, of course, it, it brings me back to it. And then then I read something fun, like at the gynecologist. Is this a sonogram we're talking about? <laughs> that is a really fun one to read to an <laughs> <Yeah>. audience. <laughs> because they're going, oh, my gosh, I'm looking inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and people are always kind of surprised you can write about that. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so. Well, that was one of the things that I enjoyed so much about this is that you could write about so much, like the goldfish with your son, keeping the goldfish alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went through so many goldfish. <laughs> oh, that, although that particular poem I also kind of see as a um, maybe an anti-war poem a little bit, you know, oh. and, and just all the things that we kind of buy and uh, expensive equipment to kind of keep things looking pretty, but, you know, everything's still dying. <laughs> yes, a $50 tank. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anything, anything can be, uh, anything can be poetry. And that's the, the great thing about it. You know, there, I'm uh, sure there's all the, you know, standard nature, love, you know, uh, death kind of things, but, uh, you know, nothing is off limits. So. Right. Curiosity. I, I saw that in your poem about the um, diner in, was it Minersville? How do you say that town? Minersville, Minersville. Yes. And that, that has an interesting story behind it because my, my husband um, is originally from Reading. And whenever we would drive down to Reading, we would go through um, Minersville and um, there was this diner there and it had, um, you know, a woman's name on it. And then all of a sudden, it was whitewashed out and it was just, I think what was the name? Steve and blank, um, you know, family diner. And, um, I was giving a reading at Penn state once and, uh, a student came, I read that poem and a student came after, um, up afterwards and said, I know what happened. I know what the story behind that. And apparently, uh, I think it was Rosie. I've got to look at the poem again. Um, Rosie tried to kill Steve. Oh, <laughs> and um, and then they got divorced, and then she and I think she was in jail. Or um, so you know. I mean, I heard the second hand. You know, I can't confirm all that this, <laughs> this is true, but there was this whole saga, um, and we were always trying to figure out, you know, what could be the scenario behind, you know, this sign because it was so odd that all of a sudden this name would be kind of whitewashed out. Um, well, but 
attempted murder would be good grounds for erasing someone yeah. from your life. <laughs> yes, yes, I would, I would think so. But it make it also makes for an intriguing poem because you know a lot of poetry is about what if or why. <laughs> you know, we're going back to those W's again. You know, what's the story behind what you see? And uh, you know, if you don't know, you can make it up in poetry. So, um, and try to figure it out. Well, it's more than that, though. You you've been able to connect people with their neighbors in this book. For example, I just saw Clyde Peeling Friday night oh. <laughs> at an event, and I wanted to say to him, "Hey, have you seen that poem?" <laughs> he uh, he may have. I think I sent it to him actually, and that's also a really fun one to read. Because um, boy, I spent so much time when the kids were little going to birthday parties at, at uh, Reptile Land, um, and. Um, you can ask him, but I have, I've heard from a couple of people. I'm not sure if it's true, but I've heard from a couple of people that they do do weddings. <laughs> One of the things that you said is you enjoy writing about your children. And um, a few of your poems, of course, deal with being and becoming a mother. Uh, to give birth to ideas is only an expression. But do you see that there are parallels between giving birth and creativity? Well, yes, certainly. I mean, there's that sense of um, kind of gestation. You know, I used to um, write every day and then I had kids and I couldn't do that anymore. Um, But I think that I still write just as much because it's kind of still in the back of my brain kind of gestating. Um, And certainly the the care and, and nurturing and sometimes they come out easily and sometimes they don't. <laughs> so I guess you could make all kinds of connections like that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's also, I, I try to remember this when I'm teaching that, you know, putting your work out there for the first time um, can be very scary, you know, and, and you feel like this is my baby, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, you know, teaching in itself is also a, a very, um, I don't want to say a parental role, but, you know, kind of a coaching role and um, also kind of a creative process, I guess, that you're trying to help others as they're going through that um, process of giving birth to their poems or to their stories. So, Speaking of teaching, um, you like to get your students to think about what literature has to do with everything as they go through day to day. Is this working for you? I, I heard this in a previous interview with you. I, I think it, it does because um, sometimes students have been taught or they're made to feel or they just come up with it on their own that literature is, you know, just this escape from reality. It has nothing to do with your life. Um, but if they can start thinking of it as something that has to do with their psychology classes or their history classes or their biology classes, um, but also, you know, what they're going through on a personal level day to day and what's going on in the world. I mean, I think that makes um, literature much more immediate and important to them and kind of essential to their lives. And they get to see, boy, I understand that these people may be grappling with same, the same things I'm grappling with, or um, they may be witnessing um, some things that I've been talking about in another class. Or I can see how um, my major, you know, can shed light on this particular piece of literature. Um, so it, it opens up a lot of great things for discussion. Um, and I just think it, it 
makes more of an impact on their individual lives. So, so are you thinking that writing is a writing poetry, especially, is a form of personal therapy? That internal conflict can be a creative force for you and for your students. I think it can be. I I have a little bit of a knee jerk reaction to the idea of. Uh, poetry or writing justice therapy, because I, I don't want to forget the craft part of it. And, and I'm sure you know that as well. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of difference between like a diary entry um, or just kind of brainstorming and then kind of taking that, taking it that step further to really craft it, revise it. And I'm a firm believer in revising over and over again, you know, till you get it just how, how you want it. And then you still may change it. Um, but I think it can be very therapeutic. Um, I have an entire book uh, that's really about my father's unsuccessful heart transplant. And I had to wait a while before I could write that. Um, but I think it did eventually kind of help me, again, discover some things that I thought, um, helped me kind of heal in some ways. But, you know, it, it would have been very different than just um, writing a diary entry about it. So, you know, you you do have to go that other step and, and craft it. So can you tell me, explain on that a little bit. Tell me, what is your creative process like? I know you've mentioned the gestation and the revising, but what happens before you sit down to write and then once you sit down to write? Can you walk us through your poems? Hmm. Before I sit down to write, I procrastinate a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I think it takes me a while to get settled in. And then once I get settled in, I, I work best if I'm all alone. Um, and part of that is that um, I often write aloud. Uh, you know, I, I will kind of recite things out loud because I am very in tune with the way words sound and, and play off of each other and, and resonate. Um, so I, I'm best if I'm kind of all alone in the house or if um, I'm at some place that's kind of where I'm anonymous, like a, a coffee house or an airport, um, where I guess where I don't have any obligations, you know, and that was the thing when the kids were little, because, you know, I always kind of felt like I was needed someplace, sure. you know, and so it was harder to, harder to kind of focus and, and settle down, or I feel guilty about closing the door, you know, um, I would still get some written, um, then of course, but it was harder to find those spaces of time. Um, and then um, I used to write everything by hand, uh, like, you know, the creativity would flow down your hand into the pen. And, um, and then I would revise by the computer. But now I just type on my laptop. And um, in some ways, it frees you up or it frees me up to kind of brainstorm more and to play around, especially with line breaks and things like that. Um, and then I usually um, just keep kind of going over things. When I think that I'm kind of done, I'll put it aside for a day or two and then um, kind of come back to it and um, tinker with lines, read it out loud. If I get stuck, um, I give myself assignments, like as I was saying before, like I might read the newspaper or um, um sometimes just going on a walk or doing something physical or go, going out and exercising um, kind of helps free up the brain. Um, you know, just to kind of a, a change of scenery sometimes will help un unstick 
my brain a little bit. You <laughs> know, um, I don't have huge spaces of time um, like I did, you know, before that. Well, we're we're empty nesters this year, so I'm I'm starting to find a little bit more of those spaces again. Um, even though the kids were, you know, out and about doing all kinds of things, I think, you know, there was something. I don't know. I, I feel a little more like I have some spaces now. So um, I don't know if that answers yes. it. Sometimes I'll look up and see, you know, what contests or, or <laughs> some Ooh. journalist calling for a poem on this topic. And I will sit down and like I was just uh, I had a poem in a, a anthology and the entire anthology is about donuts. I didn't have any poems on donuts, but I sat down and wrote some, you know, and lo and behold, they took one. Yeah. So, you know, that, that helps. And students will give me ideas sometimes too. So, um, very interesting. You know. So you say that, uh, sometimes a, a change of scenery, you, you were a poet in residence last summer. Was that something that helped you with your work or was it all work and no play for you? And can you tell me, uh, what can a participant take away if they participate in a, you know, an example like yours? Oh, that yeah, that was great fun. I, I was poet in residence uh, for a week at Chautauqua, um, which is in uh, upstate. Well, it's on Lake Chautauqua in, in New York and just beautiful, beautiful area. And um, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I was busy during I didn't write during that week. But I taught a workshop um, each day. Um, I took a lot of walks along the lake. My husband was able to come up for half the week, and and we had a lot of fun. And then I had to give a um, I gave a lecture, and I gave a reading, uh, and I got to meet some um, wonderful other writers and you know hang around. So yeah, it's very invigorating. Um, it's it's. I also gave a reading last year at Juniata College. And I'm going to, um, I've got a couple of things lined up for, for next year. Um, it, it's very energizing to go and have an audience and interact with people and interact with students and talk about reading and writing and answer their questions about, you know, your books, because usually, you know, you, you know, this, you're writing in solitude in your pajamas, <laughs> you know, um, and no one else is around and you don't you know, you don't have that sense of interaction with the reader um, because you're not there if they happen to pick up your book or not. You know, usually you don't you don't get to see that. So it is very energizing to, to go to some of these places and to give readings. I really like to give readings, um, you know, and just to to, to meet students or, um, you know, or anyone, you know, who, the readers who are coming there and to talk with them about writing and to interact with them. So that's a lot of fun for me. Um, you know, get me, gets me out of the house. <laughs> sure. Can you tell me a little bit about your books and your publisher? Um, these two books that I'm looking at, um, Local News and True, False, and None of the Above, these are both published um, in Eugene, Oregon, but they're by different publishers or are these connected? They're connected. It's, it's the same publisher within stock. And uh, they have um, several different imprints. Um, so the true, false, none of the above is a specific 
um, imprint called the Poema Poetry Series. And I am um, really excited about just being in this group of uh, writers because they have some really wonderful writers as part of this series. And they they started that a little bit later. Um, so it's only a few years that they've kind of just taken off with that. Um, but one of my, uh, an author that I just love, Anya Silver, who has had several books um, from Louisiana State University Press is just, I think she's their newest author in this series. Um, but uh, um, a couple people that I've known for quite a while, Barbara Crooker is in that series, and um, uh, just some some people that I like quite a bit. So I'm excited about being in that. And uh, local news from someplace else, I, I published with them before. The other book came out, and I was very pleased with uh, the way that came out. I love their covers. You know, they they just do a great job. I think kind of capturing some of the themes and ideas, and they're very open to kind of listening to the author's ideas and and get input about you know what a possible cover could be that would connect with the ideas in the poems. So even though they're different imprints by the uh, same publisher. They're visually a little bit different, but they're also tactically different. I, I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. touching true, false, and none of the above. And I notice that the paper, I'm just getting into production values now because <laughs> comparing the two books, I, I really do like this new series, the Poema Poetry Series. And and I was I was getting a little laugh at the poem in here to all these struggling women poets. <laughs> Get your graying hair wet and wet again. And I was thinking, that's exactly what I'm trying to do here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me kind of thinking there is a lot of crossover with some of the poems. I mean, they're very different subject matters. But there are some poems in the Poema book, in the True, False, None of the Above, that probably could have gone in the local news from someplace else, except they weren't written yet, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, that called your str- the Struggling Women Poets. I mean, that's kind of about, you know, how do you keep writing when you're trying to raise kids and you're working full time and, you know, life is chaotic and, you know, all that kind of real real you know life kind of situation so another one that gave me the chuckle i mean and i know that this is this sounds a little sinister when i read the title the english teacher contemplates suicide oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I love this <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's also really a fun one to read because you know you you come home with a stack of 50 freshman <laughs> composition essays and some days it's harder than others. You know? like, I would do um, this, but I'd have to leave a suicide <laughs> note in the grammar. And <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that poem is actually part of a, a series, and um, it was the first poem in a series about spelling mnemonics. So I went through. Sometimes I get on a roll, and that's another way that I'll give myself ideas. Um, so I have a whole series of poems about you know like. Um, I before E except after C. Um, separate. There's a rat in the middle of separate. Um, there's iron in this environment. There's you know all little tricks that you learned yes. for spelling. Uh, well, I learned when I was a kid, so I was kind of fascinated by those, and I wrote a whole series. And the English teacher contemplates suicide was the the first one. But then I started trying to sell the rest to uh, as a children's book. I haven't 
um, has success at that yet, but I, I took out the suicide poem because I thought maybe you don't want to have that as your first book and first poem in a children's book. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed it though. And, and like I said, I enjoy touching it too. I'm trying to basically re-educate myself because it has been a long time since I went through college and most of the work that I've been doing in the last 20 years, um, in the communications field has been very dry, very technical, you know, removing the emotion. Mm-hmm. And in, as a result, it hampers me writing creatively, writing my fiction, which, by the way, I see that you've got a fiction book out this year, too, don't you? What she was saying? Yes, yes. So that that was... Um that was really exciting for me because it was my uh, first book of fiction. Yeah. What she was saying came out from Fomite press, which is a a small press in uh, Vermont. And they've actually published um, several people at Bucknell and several people from Susquehanna university. So I feel like there's kind of a Pennsylvania um, contingent here, but uh, all the poems, uh, I mean, all the stories are told from the point of view of women from different backgrounds, different ages, different experiences. And I actually think it ties in really well with kind of the Me Too movement and a lot of the the issues that have been brought up this past year. Um, Some of them are kind of flash fiction. So they're just a page or two. And then others are full length uh, short stories. Um, And there's, yeah, actually a couple of baseball ones in there, too. Now, speaking of the Pennsylvania contingency, you also worked on Commonwealth, which I love the title of this, A Contemporary Poets of Pennsylvania, a book from Penn mm-hmm. State University Press. Yes, that was that was a lot of fun. And um, I, I co-edited that with Jerry Wemple, who teaches at uh, Bloomsburg. And um, we, it's, the anthology is ordered geographically. So you have poems on the Philly area, poems on the Pittsburgh area, poems on Central PA, um, poems on the coal mining region, uh, Northwest PA. Um, I'm probably forgetting something, but um, it's also a book that I like to use myself in the introductory literature class because um, it makes poetry in some ways um again, more immediate and more personal and less intimidating to those students who might not have had a great experience. You know, some students come to the class and they're like all excited about poetry and some, you know, not so much um, because they've kind of been told they have this special little key and it's a mysterious thing. And, um, and so I try to, you know, get rid of some of that fear and trepidation um, partly by, bringing um, poems to them where they can be a bit of an expert because there's a poem about, you know, the town they grew up in. Um, Or there's a poem about, you know, um, coal mining and their grandfather was a coal miner. Um, And so I had the students do a little bit of background research about the area and then also um, have them teach a few of the poems that they pick out. And and they're able to bring some of their own experiences to the discussion. And it makes for, you know, great uh, teaching and a great discussion and great uh, interactions with the class. Um, I had some students who um, 
outside of class, you know, I, I hadn't mentioned it, but they just, there's a number of poems on Centralia. So they just decided to go and do some field trips down in Centralia and, you know, watch all the kind of smoke come out of the ground where the, the mine fires were well, that's still exciting. burning. Yeah. You got yeah. them inspired by yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, just like that donut anthology, you know, on one level, um, yeah, they're about donuts or, yeah, the poems are about Pennsylvania, but they're also about our struggles, our work, our heritage, our traditions, the language we use, uh, what we say and what we don't say, um, our interactions with family, you know. So these themed anthologies um, still get to kind of the core of, you know, who people are, I think. Well, this is so, wonderful. So you think that challenging yourself, reading the newspaper, all of these different things can stimulate your senses and help you come up with ideas that you can gestate, procrastinate, <laughs> until you can develop them into something tangible, almost like uh, Ray Bradbury describes it as a, a Japanese flower, paper flower that expands outward into gigantic shapes. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what's both, uh, inspiring and, um, fun, um, and exciting and healing and, you know, all those different things kind of wrapped up together. Um, you know, that's what, uh, keeps me going with writing, I guess. If there was one piece of advice you could give for people who should be reading poetry, what would it be? I would say, you know, just keep reading around until you find some things that you like um, and that you feel like, you know, kind of touches something um, in you. Um, There's so many different styles. Um, um, I would suggest, you know, reading contemporary poetry and um, again, seeing is there someone who's talking about something that, you know, makes you think in a different direction or kind of uh, pushes you to discover something else in yourself or in others. Um, but try to try to read like a wide range at first maybe and then kind of then find out who you enjoy and then maybe find out more about them. I mean, you know, songs can be poetry too. Um, so sometimes, you know, you can even start there. Um, you want to stay away from the cliched, I guess, Ooh, but, you know, look yes. at, you know, look at, look at um, some of the things that, you know, kind of really um, stir that emotion in you or stir the ideas um, in your brain a little bit, I guess. So you're talking about coming at poetry almost like you're backwards barn raising. Oh, so come at it from yeah. feeling first, finding someone you're enjoying then take a look at who this person is, why they're working in that genre, maybe, and then learning a little bit more about poetry, get back into the elementary aspect of it so that you can understand what is a poem, how to create it, the metaphor, yeah, the simile. And, right. And when I um, talk with my students about writing, I mean, just because you said that backwards, um, Barn raising, it reminded me of the kind of this, uh, what I call is the kind of a backdoor uh, metaphor or simile in writing, because sometimes the idea for a poem comes right in the front door and you, you know exactly what you want to write about. You're intrigued by a certain subject or an experience or an event, um, or there's a, um, 
you know, you're doing it for a particular person or an occasion, but sometimes it comes in through the back door. You, you have a line that kind of keeps going on in your head or um, you have an image, you see something and it reminds you of something else. So you make that kind of comparison, that similar metaphor, and it just sticks uh, with you. Um, actually, for the, the Branch Rickey uh, memoir for middle graders, um, I was driving to work one day and this just this phrase, his name was Branch and in his brain was brewing a great experiment and just kept going around in, in my head. And so that becomes a, comes a little bit of a chorus in the book. But sometimes, you know, just an image will, you know, come into my brain and I'll kind of stick with it. Um, I know with the back, uh, backwards barn raising um, poem, which is about the school Amish um, yes. schoolhouse shooting, yes. um, I was just, I was just amazed um, and um, that these people who had lost something. So, you know, had lost their children could ever forgive the shooter. I mean, like, I don't know if I could do that, you know. And so I think that was something that I kind of was struggling with before I thought of, um, you know, that poem. And then I thought of this image of, you know, the backwards barn raising, everybody come together to kind of build something good, especially, you know, in the Amish community, everyone kind of huddling around. But when they're the ones who are suffering this loss, I don't know. Somehow that all came together <laughs> in that poem uh, and trying to, to imagine what it would possibly be like to uh, lose a child, but then also to be able to forgive. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I was just kind of amazed um, by that. And I guess I wanted to kind of think about, you know, how that could be possible in that particular poem. I really enjoyed reading your poetry, and I will keep reading it every day, <laughs> over and over again. Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's part of my new routine to become a better reader, a better writer. Is there anything you're working on now? Yeah, I'm, I am working on a number of things, and I think they're kind of center, uh, centering around this idea of both being... Um, a mother to a, a a young woman who is, you know, now 20. And then also being the daughter of a woman who, uh, my, obviously my mother, um, who's turning 89. So kind of being in between, um, you know, both dealing with children. And, and I have a, a son who's 18. So both dealing with children who are kind of going into adulthood now and are in college and are off on their own. But then also um, having elderly parents, um, my my mother and my my father-in-law, who are um, you know going into that different stage as well. So I think I'm kind of struggling with that that sense of being both parent and child, you know, at the same time, and how those roles keep changing. That's going to be interesting. Does that makes sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> I've been both. <laughs> Yeah. So. so those are some of the things I'm thinking about. I do have a sabbatical next uh, fall, so I'm looking forward to that and kind of diving in and and uh, getting as much accomplished as I can. <laughs> well, good luck with that. And thank you so thank much you. for participating in this conversation with me today. And is there anything you'd like to add before we wind things down? 
just a big thank you. Thank you for doing this, and, and thank you for sharing it with uh, so many others. It's a, it's a wonderful a wonderful thing that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, this is <laughs> my attempt to improve my writing, and I hope that this is something that other people will look at and turn to, because you've been a mentor to many, many people throughout your career, and your the books that you've written, these are now legacies, and I hope that... Writers will pick your books up and keep reading your poetry, just like I will. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robin. Goodbye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Marjorie Maddox, and that it inspires you to think creatively about the world around you. Start reading poetry. Find poets that you enjoy and learn more about what inspires them. Hopefully, it will awaken a song in your heart. If it does, capture that idea as soon as you can on a piece of paper, or use a voice recording on your mobile phone. Let your poems gestate like Marjorie does, then work on them, revise them, and then share them. Ray Bradbury once said that writers should read poetry every day of their lives. Poetry is good, he said, because it flexes muscles you don't use often enough. Poetry expands the senses and keeps them in prime condition. If you're local, Stop in at Otto's Bookstore and pick up a book of Marjorie's poems. If not, look for her books online at Amazon. You can find me online at robinvanauken.com. While you're on my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and other creatives. So sign up today. Check out the episode and the show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session 12. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>